observations. First of all, I like that worship here is kind of a contact sport. Uh, <laughs> I like that people are engaged and moving around and kind of, I don't know how you sing some of these songs and just, it's just your mouth moving, man, you know? Uh, your whole body kind of gets going uh, because it's a great God that we worship. So I love our worship time, that, that, that our worship and praise with music um, and appreciate you guys jumping in. Second thing is, you know, God is real and Jesus changes lives because I'm friends with San Francisco 49ers fans. Here on the front row. Mahomes, Mahomes is easy, uh, born in Tyler about a month before Jordan was. Jenna was born in Tyler. It's an easy connection for me there. Uh, the San Francisco thing I'm still praying on. So see what the Lord does to me today. Uh, it's good to have everybody here today, right? Everybody comes to worship here, no matter where you're coming from. Uh, legacy is also on our minds, I hope, and our legacy giving and, and just what the Lord has for you. And just let me explain a little bit again. If, if you weren't here the first Sunday of this year, which I think was January 4th, uh, or fifth, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to that message. I don't ever do that, um, so you know it's kind of unique, but I would encourage you to go listen to that message. It'll explain a lot about what we're doing with uh, our legacy time, but we're just spending some time in prayer right now. And the rest of this month, I, I want you to move from praying some general prayers about the future of our church and, and uh, what God has for us, continue that, but also move into, God, what am I supposed to do? What's our family supposed to do? How are we supposed to participate uh, in, in giving um, and seeing what God has for us? And, and toward the end of this month, we're going to start to give kind of in unison um, toward what God uh, has for us in the future. We don't know what that is. We've got a lot of things going on and conversations uh, behind the scenes that we're just kind of doing some investigation to see what God's got for us. Um, and we're confident that he's going to provide in his time. Um, but we're going to do our due diligence, right, to find out what that is. So we're in that process now. So if you would pray and, and get ready for that. And then, you know, the other thing I would say is be creative. There's lots and lots and lots of ways that God can use you um, to bring the, the, the funding and finances that we need here. Lots of ways to do that. So just pray to the Lord and be creative and kind of think outside the box and see how the Lord might want to use you, okay? Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 is where we'll be. We'll have it on the screen. There's Bibles in the backs of the chairs if you need one. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Last, uh, two weeks ago, Pastor James with us, uh, spoke last week, and then two weeks ago, we finished up what I just found to be an incredibly inspiring and encouraging uh, look at, at Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, one of the, the unique things that you see in Hebrews chapter 1, and this is unusual for almost any place you read in the Bible, there's no commands. Um, it's an unusual chapter and section of scripture because when you read it, there's zero commands. The entire thing is, look at how amazing Jesus is. Like that's the whole deal in, uh, in Hebrews chapter one. And so for those of you uh, who think, and there are other passages and places in scripture where that's true, but so many of us kind of grow up in a, a church tradition and maybe this is what we're just coming out of, uh, where church or Christianity is all about a bunch of do's and don'ts and commands and laws. I want you to be encouraged by Hebrews chapter 1. Um, first of all, I want you to see Jesus, right? If you walk out of here today in communion and in the songs that we sang and what I'm going to say today, and you're not looking at Christ, I want you to see Jesus. I want you to look at the portrayal of Christ in Hebrews chapter 1. Do you hate religion? Well, look at Jesus. Are you tired of being a good church person? Look at Jesus. Are you terrified that you can't be good enough? Look at Jesus. Are you weary of comparing your goodness to the goodness of other people and coming up short? Look to Jesus. God, the author of this book, 
Both of them are telling us to look at Jesus. Your behavior and your desires and your heart's focus and your loves will all align around that magnetic glory of Jesus Christ. When your heart is focused fully, truly on him, it all starts with that, looking at Jesus Christ. Spend time with Jesus in scripture, in your heart, in your thoughts, in your journals. Christianity is not about commands. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It is not about devotional love. It's not about spiritual faith. Christianity is about Jesus being more than amazing, more than marvelous, and our lives orbiting around him. That's what Christianity is about. And I'm going to ask this question I know over and over again throughout the book of Hebrews. I just know it's going to be there. Is he worthy? I think Hebrews asks that question of us consistently throughout the whole book. Is he worthy? Is he really worthy of your attention? Is he really worthy of your effort? Is he really worthy of your work and your love? Is he worthy? Man, chapter one answers that question. Just look at Jesus. Look at him. So we don't have one command in the whole first chapter just to just put your attention, your heart's affection on him. Now look in Hebrews chapter two, verse one. So for this reason, so because Jesus is incredible, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away from it. So boom, here's your command, <laughs> okay? You didn't get a command in chapter one, first verse of chapter two, we get a command. What is that command? Basically, it's this. God has spoken through Jesus Christ. Listen to him. God has spoken clearly, most clearly, through Jesus Christ, listen to him. That means you're asking questions all the way through the book of Hebrews. You're asking questions like, what does Jesus say about my money? What does Jesus say about my family and my spouse and my body and my sex life and my soul and my heart and my joy and my loyalties and my job and my boss and my heart? God has spoken clearly through Jesus Christ. What does he have to say about my life? Here's what God is saying to us. I mean, I actually think we could take it and graph it out simply on a page. Like if you have a piece of paper or, or the, the worship guide or something, I think you could write at the top of the piece of paper, what does Jesus say about, and then just start listing categories of your life. My finances, my body, the food that I eat, how I spend my money, how I work at my job, how I treat people I don't like, how I deal with my spouse and my children. What does Jesus have to say about that? God has spoken most clearly to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Listen to him. Listen to him. Pay attention to him, is what chapter 2, verse 1 says. So here's what God's saying. There are a lot of ways to try to get to God. And a lot of us in here have tried. There's a lot of different ways to try to get to God or to get in touch with divinity. And Hebrews is Jesus is better. He is the best way. He has opened the way to God and made it where you don't have to work to get there because you can't work to get there. Jesus is better. It also is, there's a lot of good ways or a lot of ways to try and to live a satisfied life and to be happy. Jesus is better. He is the one that satisfies your soul. Instead of us trying to shove our jobs in there and our spouses in there and our kids in there and everything we try to shove into our souls to make us happy, Jesus fits that, that, that missing piece. And then we don't have to put all that pressure on our kids and our spouse and our jobs. You understand? And our money. Because it can't handle the weight of our souls. Jesus is better. Look at him. Listen to him. This, uh, what I love about Hebrews chapter 2 is that it doesn't say, look at Jesus, now go be good. Look at Jesus, work harder. 
right? Look at Jesus and maybe you'll get to heaven someday. It doesn't say do good for Jesus or don't go do good for Jesus or be better for Jesus. It says look at Jesus, pay attention to Jesus, love Jesus. Our heart's core affections turn toward Christ. Psalm chapter 90 verse 14 says this, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. That our heart's deepest loves will be filled out by the person of Jesus Christ. And then he says, and everything else falls in line so that the rest of my days can be full of joy and singing. Fill my heart. Let my heart be satisfied with your love. That is the command that we get here is to look at, to listen to, to pay attention to Jesus. Which I think begs the question, which we've talked about at some in here before, who are you paying attention to now? Who are you paying attention to now? Man, our phones and our computer screens and our televisions are burned up with things like the Fox News and the Blaze, which is awful if you pay attention to that, uh, the Drudge Report, CNN, Twitter, all these things. As of April 2019, so just almost a year ago, here are the top Instagram influencers on, on Twitter as of about a year ago. Cristiano Ronaldo, you know what he's done in his life? Kicked a football soccer into a net the top twitter influencer hundreds of millions of followers kim kardashian i don't even have to say anything about that right <laughs> beyonce ariana grande and selena gomez the top influencers on, on twitter we're listening to people do y'all get do y'all understand that you're paying attention to somebody and your twitter accounts are full of it your facebook feeds full of it you are paying attention to someone. That's an actual job now. You can be an influencer and get paid millions of dollars for it. That is an actual profession now. Who are you paying attention to? I would even dumb it down further for us or strip it down further for us. In our Christian subculture, in our Christian ghetto, who are you paying attention to? Whoever it is, whatever it is, however you approach this, I would like to agree with you on a couple of things, okay? First of all, the amount of input that you seek about Jesus and his ways should outweigh all other input. Can we just agree with that? You and I can argue all day long about maybe even which Christian influencers you need to listen to, but can we just start with this baseline kind of assumption? The amount of information, the sheer volume of information that we allow to come into our hearts and our minds and influence us should be outweighed by far by the amount of info we get about Jesus compared to anything else that we let in. That A little bit, that's like common sense. You know, some of you guys come in here and for 35 minutes on a Sunday, you get a little Jesus and then you spend the rest of the week with no other I love Jesus input at all. How does that work for a human body and mind? I don't think it works very well at all. So I think we at least have to start there to pay attention, if, at least in, in the amount of input, the volume of it, right? The source of that input matters almost as much as the volume because some of you, I know who you listen to and I know the books that you read and they've got Christian attached to them, but it's awful. There's a lot of horrible stuff out there right now in Western Christianity and stuff that I would absolutely count. Come talk to me if you'd like to, but I'd love to counsel some of you to stay away from some of it, okay? We are not into Christian self-help. That, that is not the basis of New Testament Christianity. Make yourself better, right? Have everything you want today. 
That is nowhere in Scripture. It's, it's, a, it's an abomination to the gospel. And so many of us just suck this up with a straw, and it's bled itself into almost all of evangelicalism. And so some of this, I think you need to understand who you're paying attention to, that the source of your input matters as, almost as much as the volume of the input that you're taking in. Pay attention. Pay attention to Jesus Christ. We do not have a vacuum of information for us, right? We have, we have to have an inability to discern and value proper sources because if you don't, Scripture says you're going to drift away. In some ways, it's a little terrifying to me that we get chapter 1, which is one of the four Christological passages in the New Testament. I'm going to just give you, throw a little theology at you right now, okay? There's four main Christological passages about Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 1 is one of them one of the most important things that teaches us theology about Jesus. And it's amazing. And the very next thing the author says is, pay attention or you're going to drift away. We amen and we're like, yes, hallelujah, move my soul, Lord, sing songs, da-da-da-da-da. And the next thing he says to us is, pay attention. I know you're celebrating that right now, but if you don't pay attention, you'll drift away from it. Pay attention so that you do not drift away. Away. So what is at stake here when he tells us to pay attention? What's at stake? If we pay attention to something else, which we're, we've already talked about, we already do. If we pay attention to something or someone else, what happens to our faith? He says you'll drift. You'll drift. That word for drift, it literally is a verb that means to cut a mooring line or the line that ties you to a dock or the line, the rope that ties you to an acre. It, mean, it's a ver- it means to cut that. You have the picture in your head? What happens when you cut a mooring line? What happens when you cut an anchor line? You drift. What happens when you pay attention, wrong volume, wrong sources, to the things that are not of Christ? You drift. Your mind slips into something else, and you're not even aware of it. You you don't even know what's happening. I, I don't know if some of our friends are here, but Years ago, we went to the beach with a bunch of people from our church when our kids were little. I've told this story before. I don't know if I've told it in here. And one of our friends, he is one of the most country guys you'd ever meet um, from Tyler, Texas. And he gets, I don't know if he's ever been in the ocean, Todd Chapman. I don't know if Todd's been in the ocean before. Todd goes, he gets a pink, he goes to the, the store and he buys a pink raft that you blow up with your mouth. It's bright pink. He's as white as the day is long, man. Just like iridescently white, right? And he gets on this raft. He's like, hey, man, I'm going to go float out in the water for a while. <laughs> like, okay, Todd, see you, dude. He fell asleep. So we're in Gulf Shores, so there's the, the undertow. He goes about, uh, about a quarter of a mile out. He gets just sucked out there, totally asleep, and he just disappears. Hours later, and I'm not exaggerating, we are off the beach in the room getting cleaned up for dinner. There is a knock at the door. <laughs> Todd is carrying his deflated raft and this half of his body matches his raft. <laughs> it's like the two-thirds of the body on this side, almost as pink as that raft, and he is just walking like this. His feet are raw. He, you know, he's all burned up on the side. Of the- Man, I fell asleep on that raft. <laughs> I floated about two miles down the beach. <laughs> and walk his way across hot sand all the way back, all the way back to our condo. It's a perfect picture. I feel bad for Todd even to this day. It's been about 15 years ago. I feel bad for him even now, man. But listen, it's a great picture. It's a great picture. So many of us are not paying attention, and we're just comfortable. 
and we hear a little bit of Jesus, and we get a little bit of this, and we get a little bit of that, and we just fall asleep, and we're not paying attention. We get drifted away, and we don't know how we end up there, but we're far away from where we began, beat up by the world and the wind and the waves and the sun and the sand, right? And we just drift away. That's what's at stake here for your faith, not your bodies, but for your souls. So Hebrews is not arguing with us about miracles or angels, which he's already talked about, or creation theology, which he's talked about and he'll talk about today. It's not arguing about those things. The central message of Hebrews is that it is begging us to pay close attention to the daily, momentary, the next breath belief in Jesus and trusting his ways in our lives. That's the central message of the book of Hebrews, that we would pay close attention to what is happening in our lives. So the first thing I want to ask is, man, do you, did I just accurately describe your spiritual walk? You're just drifting. Not really paying attention. You kind of come close to Jesus when things get hard. You pray a lot when you want something. But other than that, you just drift. Are you drifting? A lot of us are in that place where we drift. We don't pay very close attention to what's going on in our spiritual lives. Some of us are in danger of drifting away from Christ. We're not there yet, but we're in danger of that, which we'll talk more about and explain what we mean. Um, when we don't pay attention to this and we drift, we tend to, add, we tend to think it's like Jesus and something else in, in order to stay close to him. When you, when you drift away from the gospel and preaching the gospel to yourself on a daily basis, you begin to think, well, I have to do Jesus and something else. The gospel and something else. Like, Jesus is awesome, but I got to do good works or, or he's going to kick me out. It's Jesus and good works, or it's Jesus and well-intentioned works. Well, I didn't mean to get drunk every Friday night for the last month. I really intended to try really hard, and I just messed up a lot. So that should be okay. Jesus and well-intentioned works, even if your works weren't good. Jesus and faith, an ongoing prayer life, an ongoing expression of your faith or your authority. It's Jesus and your expression of faith in Jesus. Jesus and religion. Jesus and experiencing the blessings of God. That's how I stay close to God. You have, we, have, we are creatures, we are legalists at heart. We want a law to tell us what to do even though we hate it, right? The other thing we want to do is convince ourselves of an ability to self, make ourselves self-righteous. We're convinced that I can add something to this. I can do something to make this better. And the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. He's already done it. And the minute I stop preaching that gospel to myself, I start adding things to the gospel. So when you get in danger of drifting or when you find yourself drifting, I would bet you that you find yourself adding things to your faith to make yourself feel a little bit better about where you're at. So that's what's at stake here. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews has five major warning chapters for us. Four chapters that focus around warning us in regards to our faith and wandering away. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 6, chapter 10, and chapter 12. So this is the first one. The first major warning in the book of Hebrews is here, and it's coming up in these next verses. So look in chapter 2, verses uh, 2 and 4. He says, For if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. 
God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So a major, he's saying a major function of the Old Testament is to confirm for us that God is beautiful and majestic and perfect and pure and holy. That's part of the purpose of the Old Testament is to show us how amazingly beautiful and incredible and untouchable and unapproachable God actually is because of our sin. That's one of the major focal points of the Old Testament. And it basically, his argument here, the, the author's argument is this. He says, listen, in the Old Testament, there were penalties for walking away from God, for drifting away from God. If there were these severe penalties in the Old Testament, when you violated a covenant that was given by angels— Surely there has to be a greater penalty for violating the terms of a covenant given by the Son of God. If your physical life was required of you for breaking a law in the Old Testament, a covenant that was given by angels, what might the penalty be when you walk away from the covenant given by the Son of God? It's your soul, your eternal soul. So many of these Old Testament commandments required death. What could possibly be worse than physical death? Eternal death. Separation from God forever. What's in the balance here when we drift? What's in the balance here when we neglect so great a salvation is the destiny of our souls. So this means that the sinner cannot be let off. We can't be unpunished. God's holiness demands that he punished sin. So now you should start asking the question, what about me? Because we're all sinners. All of us are. You should be asking this question, well, if this is true, the Old Testament had those penalties and the new covenant through Jesus is about my soul and God is so holy, how can I ever approach him? What about me? If that's the Old Testament message, shouldn't we be desperate for a redeemer? Guys, listen, we need rescue from our rebellion and from God's judgment. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, some of you want to worship the Old Testament. You want to slip back into doing good things to try to get to God. Some of you want to try to do good things to get to God and worship some angels just in case you miss something and talk about Jesus. Like you're trying to add all these things to your practice of Christianity. And his, the author's point is this. He's like, listen, the, old, the angels and the Old Testament say, don't come to me for salvation. The message of the Old Testament is, I can't save you. The Old Testament cannot bring you to God. It was never intended to. We tried to make it that. But that's not the point of it. The point of the Old Testament is, don't come to me. Angels aren't saying, come look at me. They're saying, no, 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 I don't have the answers here. Stay away from us. Look to God. And God's saying, look at Jesus. Angels in the Old Testament, they're warnings. They're not invitations. They're warnings to us to not try to be good enough to get to God. That's the whole point. That's why they had the sacrificial system, because nobody can keep the law. And even when you tried, you failed. So something had to die because you can't be good enough. You understand? Are we connecting the dots here? There's a lot of theology in Hebrews that's going to be unavoidable, okay? So we're going to have to face it as we come across it. And that's what we're seeing here. Verse 4. He says, Old Testament and angels 
point to Jesus. And then here's the next thing, and he says it very clearly. Testified by angels, testified by people, that the prophets that we heard the, war from, the, the word from, verse 4. God also testifies with them. So God himself comes along and says, pay attention to Jesus. Listen, we would be crazy if we don't pay attention to, how, to Jesus and how we live our lives every day. Because even God is saying, listen to him. I have spoken clearly through him. Pay attention to him. Don't drift away from him. I've given you everything you need in Jesus. Even God is saying that to us. Are you paying attention? Listen, because we are spiritually ADD people, right? I feel like we kind of need to take a pill every day we come in here to worship because we're going to go, we're going to be all over the place before we get done today. We are spiritually ADD people. We're spiritual amnesiacs. We don't remember anything that God did two days ago. God's not going to be faithful with my struggle today because, oh, I forgot. Yeah, last year he showed up when I needed him. We just totally forget the stuff that God's already done in our lives. Spiritual ADD, spiritual amnesiacs, and we're spiritually dull. We're stiff-necked by default because we're human. We tend to be stiff-necked people. God is trying, he's shaking us to get a hold of us, to wake us up. Pay attention to Jesus. God himself is pointing at him and telling us to do that. So what kind of people are in danger of not paying attention? What kind of people are in danger of drifting away from the message that Jesus is better? He's the greatest. Who are the people that might slip away from that? Church attenders. People that are here regularly, church is part of the rhythm of your life, and here's what happens. It settles in, and you're like, well, that's enough. Church is enough. Sunday morning for an hour and 20 minutes is enough. You're in danger of slipping away. This is not enough to fill you up and to keep you in love, entranced with the person of Jesus Christ. When the world is discipling you into something else, those of us who are regular church attenders, and this is kind of it, you're in danger of wandering away. I don't know another way to say it, so I'm going to use this language because I think it's great. Those of us who are deistic, therapeutic moralists. How's that? We're deistic, therapeutic moralists. God is real, and I will do good things so that I will feel better about myself, and God might give me some good stuff. Those are deistic, therapeutic moralists. You have turned Christianity into some kind of personal counseling system. That is not what Christianity is. And it is not about doing good things to feel good about yourself. That makes sense for everybody? That should hit some of us in the solar plexus too, by the way. Deistic therapy, I believe in God, and he's real. We didn't see Jesus hadn't popped up in any of our belief systems here yet. We're talking a lot about God and spiritual things, but not Christ. That's a problem. Spiritually devoted people, you love worship, you love good things about God. You love Christians. You support a child in Uganda. You want to pass on good karma and good juju to everybody else so you do good things. And your spiritual expression is important and so is their spiritual expression. Theirs is important also. So you like spiritual stuff. But Jesus is not at the heart and the soul of what you believe about God. You're in danger of drifting away. We see this happening. I will mention one name, Jen Hatmaker. We, we see this happening in evangelical Christianity because our theology about Christ and the church is so weak. This happens in our churches. Generational Christians. Maybe you were baptized as a baby. Maybe you were brought up in church. 
Maybe you won your Bible drill competition. Maybe you won an awards at uh, the Upwards basketball camp. You've always been a Christian and you use language like that and you're comfortable in that fact that you have just grown up being a Christian. You are in danger of slipping away from Christ. Not that you got saved at an early age or you had an amazing background, but that you're relying on that. Your full expression of your relationship with Jesus is a prayer you prayed when you were six. Really? Where's Christ since then? What's going on in your life since that day? Is Jesus the center of everything in your life now? Does your life orbit around him? Does the magnetic pull of the beauty of Jesus draw in everything that you do around him? Let's ask that question, guys. Does that make sense? These are the people that are in danger of drifting away. The last one I would kind of point out here are solo Christians. Those of you who come in and your expression of community is this hour and a half. This is not sufficient for community. If this is all you get from other Christians, you will be isolated and alone, and when life falls apart, you'll have nobody to turn to, and you will, I will guarantee you, drift away from God. None of us are wired. God didn't make us to hold on to him with white knuckles when life falls apart. There are times you fall apart, you can't hold on anymore, and somebody's got to pick you up. And those of us that are solo Christians, you are in danger of drifting away. Life will get too good, and you won't be able to handle the blessings you get in life or it'll get too bad and you won't be able to handle the tragedy that life brings by yourself. Those are the people that are in danger of potentially slipping away, drifting away from God. Why is, we should also be asking the question, what is it that makes Christ better? What is it about Jesus that makes him worth uh, paying attention to? Look, and he answers the question, Hebrews chapter two, verse five. He did not come, or he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning what we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you were concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. And you have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things in him, to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him, but now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. And you're like, who is him and he and him and him, right? A lot of hymns and he's. Your English Bibles are trying to help you make a little bit of sense of this. You'll see a capitalized H on some of the he's and him's, and you'll see a lowercase H on some of the he's and him's, okay? He capitalized God, Jesus, him, lowercase you, me, man, Okay? So now we're going to get, here's more theology, and it's awesome, but you're going to have to kind of dig into it with me a little bit here. What is it that's so amazing about Jesus? Well, we have to, he quotes a chunk from Psalms chapter 8 here. That's why it looks funny in your Bibles. It's an Old Testament quotation. He's quoting from Psalm chapter 8. You need to go read Psalm chapter 8. It's, it's short. You can do it on your own. Psalm chapter 8 is about us. Psalm chapter 8 is about people. It's about humans, and you have to read it and what it says about us, but it basically here's the story here. Man was originally created by God to be a ruler, to have glory, right? To have honor, to be the pinnacle of creation. But what did man do? We rebelled, and we still rebel. And so now, the creation that we were supposed to rule, what does it do? It rules over us. The glory that we were supposed to have has gone away because of our sin, and now these things rule over us. And you're like, well, Pastor Joe, what do you mean by that? I mean, something simple like fog rules over us. 
a, a microorganism that we can't see called coronavirus rules over us. Death rules over us. This was not the way it was supposed to be. Do y'all understand that? Creation's broken because we sinned. We were supposed to rule creation. Because of our sin, it too is separate from God. So we had horrible reminders of that this week, did we not? Last Sunday afternoon, when your phones were blowing, my phone was blowing up, Kobe passed away with eight other passengers in fog. Fog. Holocaust Remembrance Day was Tuesday. It got and got lost in the wash this week. 11 million people in, in Europe died. Innocents, not war victims. Innocents, slaughtered. Death and creation that we're supposed to rule over rules us. He is saying to us here, don't live your life without paying attention to Jesus. What hope do we have to be redeemed and saved from this world of death and loss and pain? Quickly look at verse 9. He's like, right now we don't see these things subjected to us, do we? Then he says, but we, de- we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. What hope do we have, this broken man? What hope do we have to be saved from this world that now rules over us, that we're supposed to rule? Namely, Jesus. That's the hope that we have. Don't live this life without paying attention to him. He tastes death for three days. He conquers it and he removes our sin and he removes hell as our destiny and he is now crowned with glory and he is worthy of our lives because he restores all things. That's why Jesus is better. Read the rest of verse nine. Namely, Jesus. We see now Jesus because of the suffering of his death crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It's easy to put our attention on verse 8 where everything's falling apart. We're supposed to have glory. We're supposed to rule this creation, but we don't. It rules us, and it's horrible and sad and tragic. It's easy to put our eyes on our failures and our sins and our horribly, sadly distracted, comical political leaders, right? It's easy to lose ourselves in all these broken things in the world. And we're like, gosh, what a destiny we have wasted, y'all. What a destiny we've wasted. What a high calling God put on mankind. And we have given it up for trinkets and toys. What a horrible verse. We just, what if the gospel ended at verse 8, right? There is no hope. Go home, (laughs) right? That's how we would end it. But there's verse 9. There's verse 9. We see this creation not in subjecting to us right now, but thank God we see Jesus Christ, right? Who died, tasted death for a little while so that we could be restored the glory that we're supposed to have. Amen? That's why Jesus is better. We see Jesus. He was our representative. Jesus represented mankind. He's the first fruits of a new kind of humanity. Because he was man, he could die in our place. Because he's God, he can give it to us through faith. Now there's more theology there, guys. You gotta have great theology about the incarnation. He's 100% man and 100% God. Because he's man, he can die in your place. Because he's God, he can give you that righteousness through faith for all time. If it's just a man dying, it doesn't matter. It's nice. If it's just God doing it, he can't die in my place. Got to have the incarnation. It doesn't make sense, but it does. Right? And he brings us to God through the righteousness of Jesus, and he brings all things under our feet 
when we become his representatives. How awesome is that? He's our representative at the cross, and later in history, we become his representatives. We rule in his name. Amen. He brings all things into their right place under us. The beauty and the majesty and the mystery of the incarnation where God comes down as a human being and he lives and he dies and then he lives again so that we can be everything God intends us to be. That's amazing. Ray Stedman, another pastor, said this. He says, we read the Gospels, and when we read the Gospels, we are forced to ask, who is this man who stills the winds and the waves with a single word? Who multiplies food at will? Who walks on the waves? Who summons fish to bring up coins at his command? Who dismisses diseases with a touch? Who calls back the dead to life? Who is he? He is the last Adam living and acting as God intended us to act when he made us in the beginning. Ooh. It's good theology, guys. Who are you listening to? Who are you paying attention to? That's good stuff. This means that in all of our failings and our sins and our rejection of God's purpose, this means we're savable. Amen? It looks hopeless. Verse 8 is hopeless, guys. The first, those four or five verses there, it's awful. What have we done? Why is Jesus better? Because what he's done on the cross means I'm savable. I'm redeemable. Jesus means that we can be the kind of people that God created us to be in the beginning. So God's call to us in the book of Hebrews is to come to Jesus. To come to Jesus in faith. To be tightly anchored to him. To rest in him. To pay attention to him. To trust in him. To not neglect the immense beauty and the life that's in the salvation of Jesus Christ. That's the call of the book of Hebrews. Come to him in faith. It's the only way to be made right. Some of you are trying to make yourselves right in a thousand other ways. The only way to be made right with God forever and ever is to come to faith, come to Jesus through faith. That's it. And he gives you all these things and makes you right and able to have this relationship with God forever. So listen, Hebrews is this. Some of you, I, I just, we're going to get into it in a couple of chapters. It's grow up, grow up. Pay attention and grow up. Mature. Own your faith. Own your walk with God. Pay attention to it. Don't neglect it. Quit playing games. Pay attention and come to Christ through faith. That's the message of Hebrews, man. This is a great salvation. Why is it great? Because God brings us in intimacy to himself with our Father. The gospel is great because it gives us hope that we can be remade and restored. It gives us hope to be made clean. It gives us joy and eternal value to all of us who feel like we're worthless. Do you guys understand that too? That Psalm 8 and those first three verses that we read, they're just a microcosm of what goes on in our hearts all the time. We recognize our own brokenness. We struggle with our own feelings of worthlessness all the time and our hopelessness, right? This is a common inner dialogue that most of us have on a regular basis. I can't. I'm not good enough. Even my good is bad. Even when I try, I fail. What hope do I have? Namely, Jesus. He gives us meaning in life when we feel worthless. Some of you are drifting this morning. You're drifting right now. You come in here on Sundays and you sing and you hear the gospel every week and you know about Jesus and you read a little bit, maybe you pray a little bit and you talk about some spiritual things, but you are not paying diligent attention to Jesus. 
who he is, what he demands of you, what he promises you about this world and our eternal home. Your heart doesn't love him. You don't pursue him. You're not growing toward him. You're just here. And you're drifting. And you're a little bit too comfortable. And you're just kind of hoping things work out in your vague spirituality. You're not acting out against God. So you're not actively rebelling against him. You're just okay. But just like that commercial, just okay is not okay. Just okay spiritually is not okay. You are drifting. This message for you today is pay attention. Don't neglect the salvation that you've been given. It is a beautiful treasure that God has given you to have this relationship with him. Dive in deep. Pay attention to it. Don't drift. This Jesus is the way to God. He's the way to everything. He's the way that everything God ever intended for you is in Jesus Christ, through the person of Jesus Christ. Piper said it this way, the first man, the first Adam sinned, was subjected to futility and death. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, defeated death and restored to us the hope of Psalm 8 for everyone who is in him. You, Christian, who do not neglect this great salvation, you will reign with Christ and all things will one day be put in subjection to you. All things will serve your great good. All things without any mixture of pain or sorrow or regret will manifest the glory of God to you and through you as you rule with Christ. So what are we supposed to do, Piper says? Put your faith in the promise of this great future grace that what you see in Christ today will someday be your portion. Fix your eyes on Christ, not on the pain and the futility and the frustration and sickness and death of this age. They will not have the last word. Christ has conquered death and all the sin and the pain that lead to death. Think on him, consider him, look to him, pay attention to him. Psalm 8 is ours. You should read it like God's promise to you because Hebrews makes it that. Psalm 8 is ours and it could be yours. Man, this is God's destiny for us. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't neglect daily walking with him and living for him. We need to start praying like, Holy Spirit, just confirm Jesus in my heart. Even when it seems like this world is broken and it's winning, give me strength to not drift but to look at Jesus. And some of you need to pray, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to the beauty of Jesus. He's better than anything this world has to offer. Save me. Save me from my attraction to this world, my trust in this world. Save me. Let's bow our heads. God, we do pray this morning. And those of us that are Christians, we right now ask the Holy Spirit, confirm the joy of my salvation in Jesus. Confirm for me that the only way to have everything you promised me is in Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news that Jesus has already accomplished it. It does, God, it seems like this world is winning and death is winning and sorrow is winning and loss is winning. It does. And God, when it feels like that and when it overcomes me, Father, I pray you'd give me strength. Holy Spirit, strengthen me that I don't drift away. Anchor me in the good gospel the good truth of the gospel so I don't drift.
And then some of you, you're, you know, you're playing a game. You've never been saved. You've never known Jesus. You don't, you're, you're, you're religious and spiritual, but you don't know God through Jesus Christ. Right now, right now, this is not a game. Your eternal soul is at stake. Cry out, Spirit, save me. Save me. This great salvation, the beauty of Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, save me. God, this is your word. It's your promise. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for everything you've given us there. I pray that our hearts would be drawn to him, but we would also do our best to have whatever input we get paying attention to full up and flooded with Jesus Christ as much as we can, especially in comparison to everything else we pay attention to. God, we confess to you that we've drifted. We confess to you we've been lazy and our loves have been given to something else, disproportionate. God, I pray we'd be drawn back. Don't let us drift. Holy Spirit, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this amazing message today. Thank you for your word. Make it come alive in our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, guys. Thanks for being here today. I guess go, go somebody today in the game, right? Who cares? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you guys have a great day, and I'll see you guys next week.